everything that makes up brand, because brand is emotional engagement. Mm. If they are emotionally engaged, they will choose your product or service. But flowing down from that, they were more likely to choose you if you're solving a problem that no one else can. Mm. And they're most likely going to choose you if you're more relevant than anybody else. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Today we have very special guest, Phil DeBella. So if you're in Brisbane or beyond, you will know the name Phil DeBella because of the amount of work he's done for the Brisbane community and owner of the Coffee Commune as well, where we're sitting today. So Phil DeBella is the director of the DeBella Group of Companies. Phil's secret source is that he has the unique ability to visualise and commercialise what others may never see. He doesn't just build businesses, he builds communities. Though initially known for the establishment of Debella Coffee, which became Australia's largest specialty coffee company, Philip's entrepreneurial spirit has brought success to other businesses such as International Coffee Traders, Abbotsford Road Specialty Coffee in New York, and more recently, the Coffee Commune. Not satisfied with simply focusing on building his own successful business, Philip has dedicated much of his time to supporting the growth and development of other businesses. Often referred to as an entrepreneur in residence, Philip regularly attends his strategic thinking to businesses such as BDO Consulting, helping their clients overcome challenges, see new opportunities, and then supporting the commercialization of these solutions. Philip has further extended his commitment to the coaching and mentoring of other businesses through the establishment of the Coffee Commune, a business which is dedicated to the long-term development, sustainability, and success of the broader coffee industry for all participants. Through industry, he continues his passion for encouraging improvement and inspiration in others. Philip's entrepreneurial capabilities and contribution to the broader community have been acknowledged in many forums over the years. During the early years of Dubella Coffee, he was listed in the 2006, 2007, and 2009 Business Review Weekly Fast 100. And he's received numerous accolades, including Entrepreneur of the Year Awards, Customer Service Awards, and Business Owner Awards. Philip was also the world's youngest recipient of the Italian Knighthood, bestowed within the Order of the Star of Italian Solidarity for contribution to the Italian community. Philip has always been deeply committed to serving his hometown, and his roles within the Brisbane community have included the Director of Marketing, chair of the CBD Economic Development Board, and Philip's significant local involvement was recognised in 2009 and again in 2014 when he received the Lord Mayor's Corporate Citizenship Award. Philip is also an adjunct professor of the entrepreneurship in the Department of International Business and Asian Studies at Griffith University. In recognition of his exceptional success in his field and his outstanding contribution to the profession and the community. Though a great force in the business world, Philip is equally committed to helping others. He contributes to numerous charities and organisations and is closely affiliated with the Pajama Foundation, where he founded an annual recreational camp for children and their carers. Underscoring everything that Philip does is his growth, his drive for ongoing growth, development and improvement to be the best that he can be and to help others achieve this too. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast. Jeez, what an introduction. You've achieved so much. It's been a good journey so far, but we're only as good as I always say tomorrow better than today. It has been a good journey and lots of good things and it's communities at the heart of all of it and helping others be the best versions of themselves while I'm constantly working on being the best version of myself. That's what it's all about. What is it about 
community, you say community is the heart of it. Where did that come from for you? Like yeah. if you go through your life and your childhood and where you've come to now, where did the community part yeah, come from? Exactly there. I'm son of migrants, very humble parents. I'm the youngest of three kids. So my parents are born in Catania, Sicily. Many years ago, people wouldn't know where that is. Now everyone does, thanks to White Lotus. And I was there a few weeks ago and boy, was it populated. But yeah, if they're from Sicily, Italy. They migrated here with my brother and sister. They were both born overseas. And as dad said, there was four of us that migrated four months on a ship. Mm. We only had two suitcases between a lot of us. Uh, yeah. They came here and it's always been about humble beginnings and it's always been about family. It's always been about not how much money you earn, but what you do with it. And no new cars, no two, three, not even one air conditioner in the house, mm. no holidays. But I tell you, amazing community around you of family, friends, food on the table and living good moments. And mm. so a lot of what I talk about today of past is about community. It's about life is measured in moments. It's not measured in possessions. And it does come from my upbringing. It does come from being a son of migrants and having an amazing community mm. around me. And especially with coffee, you know, coffee, I remember from as young as whatever, three, four years old, where friends and family comes over and within 10 minutes, the um, tablecloth's on the table. The coffee's getting brewed and the biscuits and beautiful sweets that my mum's so talented at making would be on the table. So mm. community really comes at the core of that from my upbringing. Yeah. And in terms of coffee and community, talk to me more about the connection that you made there or what led you to pursue a business in coffee. Yeah, look, I mean, I knew that I wanted to be, what didn't have to be coffee, I knew that I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. My father, as I said, was a migrant here at $450 a week and he brought up a whole family with that wage, but he worked on Sundays because he got paid double time mm. um, and he worked for the Royal Brisbane Hospital. He was a yardsman and only ever had the one job here in Australia and, and stayed there from start to finish and very proud of it. Now, he had Friday and Saturdays off, work Sundays, so I only got to see him technically on a Saturday because he worked on Sundays. Mm. And it was from an early age that I said, money's a resource. I saw that. Mm. The more money you got, the more you can do with it. It doesn't measure your character and who you are, mm. but it definitely is a resource. And, a, and the other thing was, so I wanted to make, okay, how am I going to make more money so I've got more of a resource to do more things? And then the other part was, how am I going to be in control of my own destiny in terms of time? Mm. Uh, because I certainly don't want to be working on a Saturday or a Sunday mm. um, and my kids don't see me and you know, I'm not in a yeah. position where I have to work rather than spend time. So that shaped my whole mentality of I want to open my own business. And, and mum says, you used to walk around the house at 10 and 11 years old saying all the time that you were going to open your own business because <laughs> you know, you, you're upset that dad's working on a Sunday. You mm. know? But again, it's all about, and one of the key factors out there when I talk about money as a resource, my dad to this day will still give, you know, and he's on a pension, right? He's on a retired mm. pension. He's 86. He still gives his token $50 to the Red Cross and $50 to the Heart Foundation mm. a year. And in relative to what they're on, and he always done that from, I remember as early as eight or 10 years old, seeing him mm. do that, give him $10 or give him $5 because he said, it's not about how much you give him, it's about everyone doing something. Yeah. Um, so they're the type of values I was brought up with. And and of course, as you make more, the numbers get bigger, Yeah. but you still have at the core foundation that a little bit for charity, a little bit for yourself, a little bit for your friends and family um, mm. to have good moments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thinking of your dad, I like what you, I want to touch on what you spoke about there, seeing him work hard, but then also going, I want to start a business or my own business mm. so that I have time to see my family and kids. How do you balance both, yeah. right? Because there's that, I don't know, it can be <laughs> addictive, right? Because oh, yeah. the more you do, the better your business thrives, yeah. but then you've got a family too. Oh, it becomes detrimental at times and I'll talk you through it. I mean, I talk about everybody's life is measured in three areas. You've got a personal, a professional and a family. So when I started the business and everything had to be the priority was the business and first year was tough, second year got easier, third year went well, fourth year was going even better and then we started to expand. My wife and I got married in 2003 and we had our first child in 2008. By 2008, we'd built a big business mm. and I was traveling a lot. By then, I was very fit and healthy when I started the business in 2002 
by 2008, I'd put on probably about 30 or 40 kilos, mm. um, had a child. I wasn't having the time for me personally and I wasn't having the time for the family. It was all business, business, business. To Fast forward to today, I say that work-life balance does not exist. Don't chase something that doesn't exist. Mm. It's work-life harmony. So it's all about your life being in a harmonious state. Understand how do you get to harmony? Well, understand that you are got to be your one part business, your one part family, your one part personal. Mm-hmm. Whatever's going on in your life at that point of time has to take priority. And then the other things have to become number two and num- number three. Mm. Um, and you need to know that because if you've got a personal illness yourself, then you need to be the priority. Mm. Um, your business certainly won't be. If you've just started a business, business probably be the priority. Mm. If you've just had a baby, family will probably be your priority. Mm. So understand Understanding that it's not about equal time for everything. You can't have it all. It's mm. understanding that you want to be in a harmonious state. And like I said, I've lived that because I've been through traveling three weeks a month, not seeing the family. I got up to 70 kilos overweight. Mm. Um, and that was the catalyst of selling Debella Coffee. It, was, it wasn't for money because we were making good profits. Mm. Um, it was all about how do I now get into a harmonious state personally, professionally and family. And so you do work and we talked about your entrepreneurship and residence and the work that you do in that space as well. Through the journey you've been as through as an entrepreneur and what you spoke about there, what are some of the lessons and coaching insights that you share with people around how to live in harmony? What's yeah. things that Look, they can do? Look, there's so many, and I'll touch on the key ones. Yeah. Um, firstly, in business, all you're doing is connecting a person to a product or service. Unless you're a brain surgeon, and one of my best mates is, you're not saving anyone's life. Mm. Um, you are simply connecting a person to a product or service, and very rarely will you be doing that with something that's a unicorn that no one else has done. Mm. Um, so understand that. What flows down from that is you've got to be solving somebody's problem. When I started Debella Coffee in 2002, there was 2,000 coffee suppliers. I wasn't solving the problem of coffee. I actually was standing alone by saying, I'm going to help cafe owners make money. And so I was one of 2,000 that only did that. Now you fast forward to today, there's great coffee companies helping cafe owners every day mm. um, because they've had to adopt that model. So it's become more of a service model than it ever was. Mm. The next one flows down is relevance. You need to be relevant in the marketplace. Too many people, and I use cafe as an example, when they come to me and say, I'm opening a cafe, great. There's five other cafes within a stone's throw. What's going to make you different? Is it your food, your time that you're open, the way you do, you know, you price it, the seating takeaway only? What is it that's going to make you different? And the way I say about that is if you closed your doors tomorrow, where would your customers go? And if you can answer that and say, well, geez, it'd be very difficult for a customer to go anywhere else in any business, product or service business, you've got a good business. Mm. You know, So there are three really key ones is understanding that what you're doing is connecting a person to a product or service. And the key metric there is an emotional engagement. Mm. How do you get somebody to choose your product or service before they choose anyone else's is they have to be emotionally engaged. Mm. If they are emotionally engaged with what you are offering, mm-hmm. with your brand, with your service, with your people, everything that makes up brand, because brand is emotional engagement. Mm. If they are emotionally engaged, they will choose your product or service. But flowing down from that, they were more likely to choose you if you're solving a problem that no one else can. Mm. And they're most likely going to choose you if you're more relevant than anybody else. Yeah, really good advice. And one of the things you speak about there is that approach of connecting their customers with the service as well. And you've spoken before and what comes through is a really people-focused or customer-focused in your business. I see it when I go and grab my coffee, the coffee commune, and just even the way that you act in the community and serve in the community. Where did that come from? So we've talked about your upbringing with the community, but Mm. what about this customer focus? Where did you learn that through? You develop it. Where did it start? Again, my parents, you know, Mm. being a people person. Mm. Um, My dad always said, help community, be part of community, do the best that you can to serve others. If you're in service to others, then serve and vice versa. If somebody's in service to you, let them serve you. You know, so 
Over the years, I kept developing that, developing that, developing that. To me, I always said, without a customer, you don't have a business. And now, fast forward, because every year we hopefully get a little bit wiser as we go through life and learn more. Mm. Uh, you think about it, without a customer, you don't have a business. So it's not your product or service that's the most important. It's actually the person. Um, mm. And to me, that goes both your customer, but also goes for the people that work within your business. Mm. People come to work for a reason. They want to be valued. Mm. They, they need to make a living. Um, they need to feel rewarded. They need to get the return of investment that they put into your business in terms of their hours, their emotional investment, their dedication, their focus. Mm. Um, And I've always said, the more money the business makes, the more money you get paid. I've always open, transparent with what I do. Communication is king. Mm. Um, But I am very people-focused because it comes back to that one thing that I say, without people, you have nothing. And whether that's people internally in your business or people that you're actually serving Mm. um, through your products or services. I'm glad you touched on there as well, the, the people in your business and being really transparent that the business growth is their growth, Correct. right? The two are interconnected. What have you learned throughout your journey around leadership and yeah. around how to lead in that sort of landscape? Yeah, I love that because everyone is a self, you know, politicians are a great example. They're self-proclaimed leaders. Ask them, but then when they stand up, no one wants to listen to them. Um, <laughs> to me, a leader is somebody that's cherished and followed, somebody that follows you for a reason. You can't be a leader if no one's following you, mm. right? So number one, leadership's over-glorified. Number two, without followers, you're not a leader. And number three, the best leaders lead from beside behind. They're the ones that help people believe in themselves and believe in the cause. And number one ingredient is authenticity. You Mm. know, I say to people, you're not always going to like what I have to say, but you know it's going to be the truth. Say nothing or say the truth. And that's what I say. And one of my other mantras I talk about is talk as much as you want, but make sure you do more. So Mm. you can talk lots, but do more because people will measure you by what you do, not what you say. And whatever I'm preaching to others is what I preach for myself. So there's some real key insights to how my brain operates in terms of that, that it's, if I'm being harsh on someone, I'm harder on myself. Um, Mm. If I'm expecting something better from somebody, it's because I believe in them. Mm. Um, But the key to that is communication because people don't know what they don't know. And if you don't tell them, you know, I always say, I'm going to tell you when you're doing great and I'm going to tell you when you need to improve. Mm. But I am going to tell you when you're doing great too. Mm. It's not just going to, you're not only going to hear from me when you need to improve. But is my style for everyone? No, because some people find that confronting. Some people Mm. find that in your face. People say, why aren't you in politics? The system wouldn't allow me to be in politics Mm. uh, because the system doesn't work, you know, in terms of the state and federal system. And I talk that a lot because you're actually not elected by the people. So the people might love you, but the premier and the prime minister aren't elected by the people. You're Mm. actually voting for your local member um, and then they elect the leader. Mm. So yet I get asked all the time, why wouldn't I run for premier or prime minister? And I said, because the system doesn't allow it Mm. uh, because I'm not going to be for everybody. Might tick the box for the consumer, you know, the people and the community, but I probably won't tick the box for the um, people that represent that community that sit in parliament because I'm going to be expecting more from them. I'm going to want them working harder. I'm going to want them out there serving their people better. I'm going to want them not wasting money in taxpayers' money especially. Um, I'm going to make sure that they don't do that. And they're not going to like that, so they're not going to vote for me. And that probably helped because I've never explained it that way on a podcast to somebody. So there's a key nugget that I've never talked about. Mm. That's the rationale behind why you've got to know what you're good for and you've got to know what you can't do. Mm. Um, Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're going to succeed. You know, just because I'm very methodical, authentic, do more and all these different traits – in ideology might look good to say be the premier or the prime minister, but it's not going to happen because the system doesn't allow it. And you've got to understand that because I, you know, my point behind it is don't stand in front of a mirror and bullshit to yourself. Mm. You know, I don't have a full head of hair and I'm not six feet tall and I'm okay with that, Mm. (laughs) but I'm not going to sit here and try and bluff somebody to tell them I am. And I think one of the key things that people don't do enough of is be authentic, Mm. be your authentic self and be comfortable with who you are. Mm. 
I want to touch on what you said about politics. I think, I think it's a really interesting one too. So when we look around leadership, do you think that different leaders are suited to different environments? So you would describe like politics, right? It's yeah. a And, you know, I go back to what you said around questioning whether that's leadership, right? Because mm. really who's voted for them? Yes. But when you look at that landscape versus what you do now where you have so much ownership and you can create it, are there different types of leadership suited to different kind of organisations? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, again, I'm a strategist marketer, so I talk in analogies. Think of it as concept band. To me, leadership, the best leaders are people like the conductor of an an orchestra, right? Mm. Now, the metrics are the same. The fundamentals are the same. Mm. But yet, the music's different. So the conductor of a jazz band versus the conductor of a rock band versus the conductor of an orchestra Mm. versus the conductor of a massive orchestra. Mm. While the fundamentals are the same, which is to lead those groups to produce beautiful music, the fundamentals will be different. You'll Mm. probably find the leader of a rock band is a lot more vocal and and, and out there because it has to be because that suits those parameters. Whereas the leader of a jazz band would be a little bit more subtle and and the leader of an orchestra is a lot very eloquent and and all the rest of it. So Mm. yeah, there is different leadership styles for different audiences. Put it this way, you couldn't be a politician if you consider, let's talk about the Lord Mayor. The Lord Mayor of Brisbane is a leader because he's leading, it's run like a business. You vote for the Lord Mayor, he or she and whatever party, and you vote for your local member and everyone's got to do their job. Hmm. And at the moment, Adrian Trin is the Lord Mayor. His job is to make sure that council runs like a business and they do what they promise they're going to do and Hmm. that the rates rubbish and everything else that they do and infrastructure and transport operates the way they say that's going to operate. People get the return for their ratepayers' money. That's a perfect example of that is a leadership as a a politician. Can you imagine if he's a very introverted, softly spoken, um, (laughs) quiet person, yet he's got all these councillors he's got to lead in chambers and hold accountable? It's not going to happen. Versus the leader in a surgery. You know, like I said, one of my best mates is a neurosurgeon and he's a leader. He's got Mm. teams working on somebody. Now somebody's head's open on a table. He's not... Screaming and yelling and <laughs> carrying on like a goose, no. you know, or that. It, the leadership style there is very much action oriented. He's leading the way, but he's nodding and looking and he'll look at you and then look at the person that's obviously got to feeding you the oxygen or because it's a different style of leadership, but it's yeah. still leadership. So the short answer is yes. The key to it, understand your audience mm. and understand your style. Everyone has a different style of leadership. And the tip on that, Gallup's Strength Tester is one of the best tools you could ever do. So Gallup's Strength Testing, you know that obviously in your field, um, you can unlock all your 30-odd strengths, but knowing your top five. You know, so when people say, well, how do I know what I'm really good at? There is tests that do that. Mm. And when I say test, it's not a right or wrong test. Mm. There is no right or wrong. It's going to tell you what your top five strengths are. And the moment you understand your top five strengths, then you can say, well, what sort of leader would I be? Mm. Or what sort of follower would I be? Or what sort of human would I be? Or Because that's an important way. And I unpack it for this. My wife has actually qualified in that area. So Jana did my strengths test and I tell you, it improved our marriage because she used to come home and start telling me her problems and I'd want to solve everything (laughs) until we figured out that my number one is restorative, which is problem solver. Mm. Number two is ideation. Number three is strategy. Number four is execution. Number five is communication. Now in business, they're amazing strengths, Mm. especially when they work together. Mm. But as a husband, they were pretty shit at times because when my wife comes home and wants to talk, (laughs) not only do I want to solve a problem, I want to do it with ideas. I want to do it strategically. I want to execute (laughs) and I want to communicate. And she's like, I just want you to shut up and listen. (laughs) So what it's done is it's helped our marriage. because because She comes home and goes, now darling, I just want you to listen. I don't want any ideas and I don't want any strategy. And I don't want you to execute anything. So she prefaces it by saying, because she knows my strengths, she can now go, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you're going to go straight to your strengths. And whilst it's funny, and I find it funny now talking about it, but it's the truth. It Mm. really helped our marriage because before, like I said, you come home, start unloading, and I'd go, 
okay, let's, and she goes, you're frustrating the shit out of me. You're not listening. <laughs> no, I am listening. I'm just, my strengths have gone in overdrive and I want to fix it. So again, it sounds funny, but it, know yourself. Yeah. And a great way to know yourself is through doing the Gallup Strength Finder and you can Google it and there's qualified practitioners out there. You could probably help listeners with that, do this sort of stuff. But once you know you, then it helps you know others. Yes. Um, and you'll actually be able to then start looking at the strengths in others. I'm so glad you touched on the fact that it impacts, like knowing yourself impacts and that EQ impacts both your marriage and your home life and work as well. They did research um, through Gallup as well to say that basically, you know how we used to previously focus on weaknesses and we've got to fix our weaknesses? Well, now they're saying that can take years to fix a weakness, but if you know what your strengths are and you work to your strengths, then the leverage is like you can double your performance and things like that by knowing that. So that's how that, you know, I think that that movement of positive psychology and that growth mindset and all that sort of discussion recently is really interesting. So tell me about knowing your strengths. Did you find that that helped you in a workplace environment in develop them even further and yeah, playing totally. to them. Because yeah. what they actually say, I've read that study you're talking about, they've actually now referred, Gallup's used to call them weaknesses and they moved away and called it shadows. Mm, um, so you, shadow and, sounds, Yeah, mm. and because it sounds, the psychology behind it sounds better. Yeah. And what, in short, what happens is your strengths actually can become your shadow. And mm. I used that example before. So my strengths in a work environment, who doesn't want a leader that's problem solver? So yeah. that means when someone's coming to me, I don't shit myself. <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> right, we're going to tackle this. Let's go. Let's break it down. Where's the data? Let's analyze the data. Yeah. Right. Who doesn't want someone that can then help with the ideation of ideas and then provide a strategy around it, then help execute and communicate? Mm. So they're a very strong and unique set of top five values. Yeah. But they can become my shadows which they were at home or with your kids mm. because your kids just want to talk. And the moment you're trying to solve their problem and, and execute and do all this sort of stuff, they don't want to talk anymore. Mm. So being aware that you can, that often your strengths do become your shadows. But what it really does is it makes you understand you as a person, but not just from when you're delivering, but from when somebody's accepting. And that's a key point there because when we're talking, very rarely do people have that ability to, whilst they're talking, be able to read the room. And it's something my wife says you do so well and while you're a good public speaker mm. is and straight off the cuff because you can read a room. So while you're talking, you're actually watching people and watching their reactions and your brain's changing and altering what you're saying and going down the path that people, you think that it's interpreting that they want. Mm. And that's a very rare skill to do. An easy way to do it is to just know yourself better. If you know yourself better, then you can read in others perhaps what their strengths are. So you'll see the person who's, just because they're quiet and not talking doesn't mean they're not as intelligent. No. It just means their strengths are different. Like my wife processes things, it takes a lot longer to process it, but mm. she's a lot more thorough. Mm. So, you know, the roles that would suit her are going to be attention to detail. Like I always said, I wanted to be a lawyer. I would have loved to have been a lawyer. I watched Matlock when I was bloody 12 years old. Um, but I read every third word. So somebody would have been in jail or I would have been in jail uh, because you can't read every third word. Um, speed you, read. You, know, you can't speed read when you're a bloody lawyer, right? You've got to know what your strengths are and your capabilities. And now I can understand that because I understand that where my strengths are. And that's why I love strategy and marketing and branding and, and that sort of stuff because it really sits within my strengths. I love that you spoke about the team and know, once you know yourself and you have that emotional intelligence and understand your own strengths, you start to be able to identify it in others and the people that you're leading. Yeah. Tell us about how, obviously, being self-aware, so when you're leading a team, mm. how do you know their strengths and be able to play to that in the way that you lead and, and the kind of work you delegate? Well, I try and take the guesswork out. We actually get them 
Gallup strength tested, right? Yeah. So my exec team's all being Gallup strength tested. I know yep. their different strengths and how they work. And again, it's like putting together a concert band. Hmm. Not everyone's going to be the drummer. Not everyone's playing the guitar. Hmm. Everyone's got a purpose around the table. I'm a big fan of Jim Collins' work where he talks about the right people on the right seats of the bus. And yep. You're always on this constant journey of good to great. Yep. And I love that sort of stuff, right? Because yep. it really resonates with me, you know, that we never achieve greatness. Hmm. It's always this journey tomorrow better than today that you're higher on attitude, teach skill. Now, you can't do that. Jason, my brain surgeon mate, can't do that. Um, you know, he can't go, oh, you got a good attitude, now you're opening people up on a table, right? But most jobs, you can yes. actually hire on attitude and teach skill later. Agree. And again, it keeps bringing in this human element, this people element, but it brings in this understanding. I don't think anyone turns up to work. Very rarely does somebody turn up to work with bad intentions. Mm. Very rarely. It does happen, don't get me wrong. And COVID's made more people be, probably expect too much and want more for less and all sorts of stuff. But in general, people turn up because they care, they have an emotional engagement with the place that they're at, and it's got to be reciprocated. So as a leader, whether you own the business or not, you've got to reciprocate that, you know. Mm. And like I say, it's a return of investment. If people are emotionally invested in you and your business, then you have to show emotional investment back to them. And that's why with my leadership, with my leadership team, I'm always, how's your wife How's your children? How's your husband? Mm. What's happening? You know, we've got one at the day, we've got a board meeting this afternoon and one of them said, oh, my mum's not well, so I'm going to have to leave early. Well, that's right. If you have to go, don't even come to the board meeting. Go make sure your mother's okay. Mm. You know, whereas other people be, no, you have to be at the board meeting or at least you have to be part of it or dial in remotely. Whereas no, mm. you're very close to your mum. I know that. You're the oldest son. Go. Mm. And then well, he's decided he's going to come for the first part and then leave. Now, but that's his decision. The mm. support from the me as the leader, of, you know, I'm the chairman of the board, mm. um, is that you are free to go without guilt because yeah. family's important and I understand your position. But if I didn't know that he's the oldest son and that, that his mum's in that circumstance, how can I lead like that? How mm. can I say, go and do what you need to do without any guilt? Now, I'm investing in him because he invests in me. Mm. And I say to people, if you watch the clock on the way in, I'll watch the clock on the way out. So whereas if, if you're in here and you're doing what you need to do and all the rest of it, you need a day off, take a day off. It doesn't have to come off your holiday pay and all the rest of it. Mm. If you're doing more than what's expected and you need something in return, the company's there. So the more you put in, and I think that's on a human element, whether you know it consciously or not, mm. we're doing that every day. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people exploit that every day too. Mm. My dad used to call them boxes. The lead hand you're grabbing and the short hand you're giving. So you're, not, <laughs> you're very short in giving, but you're very long in taking. Yes. Um, don't be that person. You yeah. know? And that's why I was brought up is you've got to give and you've got to receive. Yeah. Um, and you don't give to receive, but you've got to be open to receiving. Because some people give too much mm. and you get that whole selfless versus being a little bit selfish. So selfless and selfish, you've got to do this waltz together mm. um, when it comes to relationships and leadership. And, and again, it doesn't matter whether it's personal, professional or family. Mm. You know, you've got to be selfish with yourself too. Mm. Whereas I was quite selfless, you know, I had high blood pressure. I was hardly sleeping because I'd take phone calls at all times of night and mm. I was traveling. If there was a problem, I'd just jump on a plane and go and fix it with my team rather than do it remotely. And that's why blood pressure went up, 70 kilos went on. There's always a byproduct. Mm. And you want your byproducts to be good. You don't mm. want them to be bad. Because like my doctor said, you're no good to anyone dead. Yeah. So you got to get your shit in order. It's interesting what you said as well about knowing your people, because I think and leadership as well, having that people first approach just breeds immense loyalty. So mm. people are loyal to you and they know that you're standing there beside them as a leader, you're working with them yeah. and you are appreciating that what they might have going on from a personal point of view, then they're also going to reciprocate that for you. Yeah, totally. And understand that on that, and I know this for experience because people sometimes say, oh, you're opinionated. No, no, I don't call it opinion. I'm sharing based on data. 98% mm. of what I talk about comes from, it is my interpretation and my analysis, but it still comes from data. Mm. So- Something I'd share with the listeners. 
are people actually loyal to you or loyal to the need of you? And that's something for people to think about because what I learned from the sale of Debella Coffee, Mm. three closest people to me in the company, which think, oh, I'd bleed for you and I'd die for you, boss, and I'd do this and I'd do that, and oh, you're my brother, they're nowhere to be seen right now. Fast forward five years later after I sold, they're nowhere to be seen. Um, So they weren't loyal to me. They were loyal to the need of me. And then when you look at the data, well, one was earning $750,000 a year, the other one was earning $250,000, the other one had their engagement paid for and house furnished by us and all this sort of stuff. So you start to break it all down and you go, and it's not a sob story because I've become a better person for it because everything's about a learning curve. It's Mm. only a mistake when you repeat it the third time, Mm. right? (laughs) And it's taught me a lot of things about how you, you know, how close do you get to people that work with you and and all the rest. doesn't mean you, but it hasn't turned me into a bad boss. Mm. It's made me a better boss. Mm. You know, I don't go, oh, I got screwed over by these people, so I won't do that again. No, which is the wrong mentality of a lot of people. Mm. But bring it down to are people loyal to you or the loyal to the need of you? And it's okay either one. Mm. Just understand which one it is. Okay. I definitely want to delve into that a bit more because that is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so interesting because I've had guests on before that have dealt with mergers, acquisitions, buyout and things like that. And the grief that has come with losing some people that you thought were in your corner. It happens all the time. But were just there because of your your position or your status. Or their pay packet. Or their pay packet. How can you tell? Can you tell that early on or are there warning signs around being able to uncover which one the person is? from the three that I speak about, two, there was no warning signs. One, there probably would have been. But that's not the thing. The thing is that sometimes you've got to understand, sometimes you're the pigeon, sometimes you're the statue. (laughs) That's Uh, uh, Sometimes you're dropping the shit and sometimes you're collecting the shit. And it's all part of the journey. I'm not bitter by it. You can hear it in voice. How do you know I'm not bitter? Because you could hear it in my voice. Mm. I'm not bitter at all. Right? Because at the end of the day, yeah, some things cost you money. You can always make more money. Money's a resource. Mm. It depends on the relationship you have with money. Mm. Some people get screwed over for $5 and never forget it. Me, that's never been my style. Mm. Rightly or wrongly, it's just not my style. I've always had this mentality, well, oh well, that's a cheap lesson. Mm. You know, if I'm still on the right side of the ground, it's a cheap lesson. And you know what? Money, you can always make more money, right? Go and get another job or go and work harder. That's my Mm. mentality. Everything I've got, I've worked for. And I've always said, if I want more, I've got to go work more, you know? And of course, there's a bit of luck and everything else that goes with that. Mm. But it comes back to that relationship that you have with people and the mindset that you have. Because sometimes you will see it coming, sometimes Mm. you won't. You know, some of the little things to look for is, is somebody really in service to me mm-hmm. when I need them? Not how many times do you ring me? You know, like I said, the frequency of calling me once a week or once a day means nothing. Mm. It's I've got some friends that I might only see once a month, mm. but if they needed me, and in the past I have or I've needed them, they're there. Mm. Whether it's, can you take my son to soccer this week because I've got to go to do this or, you yeah. know, mum's not well, can you drop this off because you live closer? Mm. Whatever it is, it's not somebody that rings you every day that's necessarily going to be the person that does that straight away and vice versa. Mm. Just because somebody doesn't call you every day doesn't mean that you shouldn't be there for them Mm. because to me, it's all about when you need somebody, they're there for you, Mm. you know, good and bad. It's my wife talks about is don't just be a good time friend. (laughs) You know, know, it's not about about just the good times or the pleasurable times. It's like, so they're the little things. It's not, I think we get blindsided with certain things like frequency of phone call and and who pays for the meal. Who cares who pays for the meal? Mm. Do you know what I mean? The person pays for the meal, whoever can afford it. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't measure friendship. You know, Mm. it really is that. And it's how people make you feel. Mm. If somebody you got to walk on eggshells or the moment you don't agree with them and they get upset and pissed off and don't call you again, that's not a true friendship. No. Those are the little warning signs, you know. How well do you argue with someone? I once heard a great saying that says, if I like somebody when I'm arguing with them, they're a true friend. 
Um, so true. You know, and that's a really good barometer. If, if I'm arguing with you, but I like you. Mm. And I've done that with several friends where I've gone, you know what? We're not going to agree on this, but geez, I like you. Mm. Because you're prepared to speak your mind. You speak mm. your truth. And I might not align with you. But that's okay. You might not align with me and that's okay too. Mm. But it doesn't mean that I hate you. It doesn't mean – another one I talk about is there's plenty of people out there that don't like me that I actually like. <laughs> <laughs> because Just because they don't like me doesn't mean that I don't like them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and vice versa. There might be people out there that I not particularly like but like me. That's okay. Mm. It's okay. To me, that's normal. Yeah. And again, it comes from my dad where he said, just because my family doesn't mean I'm going to like them, I still respect them. Mm. It doesn't mean I like him. Just because I work with somebody when he worked at the hospital and I worked with him doesn't mean I have to bloody go and have lunch with him. Mm. But I'm always respectful and polite to them. Yep. So my dad used to say, best friends with nobody and friends with everybody. And what he actually meant was there's a big difference between friendship and colleagues. You yeah. Know, and saying friendships and associates. Mm. So is this person an associate or is this person a colleague or is this person a friend? Yeah. Because um, I think we throw that word around too loosely. I think so too. And, you know, there's something special about someone that you don't, they don't expect anything mm, from you, mm. but you know that if they asked anything from you, you'd drop everything for them yeah, and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. But it's an unspoken thing. You might not talk for them to like for five or six months, Correct. you know, but Correct. you know that if you should hit the fan, that yeah. that person's going to be there for you and vice versa. Totally. They're the best friends. Totally. And look, no two people are the same. Mm. Right. And so there's no manual on what your friendship should look like or how your business should be or it really is we're all on this learning journey. And I think if one piece of advice is for people to be a bit kinder to themselves. Mm. You know, everyone talks about being kind, be kind, be kind to others. How about you start with being kind to yourself? Because mm. if you're kind to yourself, you're more likely going to be kind to somebody else. Mm. Right. And if somebody just doesn't gel with you and you just don't gel with them, that's okay. Mm. Don't be offended by it. Mm. You know, nod and smile mm. and move on. You yep. know, that's just life. Like I said, not everyone's gonna like the way I operate and not everyone's gonna like what I stand for, and that's okay. Mm. You know, I'm not going to be offended by it. Mm. You know, I'm just going to go, that's part of life. And I think that's the key is to try and get, and are we ever really totally comfortable with ourselves? We probably shouldn't be. That's complacency. Mm. But there's got to be a level of comfort within yourself, yeah. you know, and who you are and what you're about. What's a great tip? Pen and paper. Why? Because your brain's having sixty to 70,000 conversations with your head and we're telling ourselves some pretty bad shit at times. Get a piece of paper and a pen and write it down. You know, get three pieces of paper. One, put personal on one, put family on the other, put professional on the other. And just write shit down and go, oh, hang on, that belongs in the personal one. Oh, that belongs in the family one. Oh, really got an issue with my daughter at the moment. I need to spend more time with her. Put it down. Get mm. it out of your head. What does more time look like? Oh, actually, I do spend a lot of time with her because more time, well, what does that look like? Oh, it's not possible because she's got something on every day or or whatever it is. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Get out of this self-judgment and, and out of our heads and get things on pieces and paper and get, get out of being irrational and be rational. Yeah. Um, I often get told by my wife that I'm very pragmatic, sometimes too pragmatic, that I'm a realist, sometimes too real, that I'm an idealist, sometimes too ideal. Mm. And I take that on board. I don't get offended by that. Mm. I take all those things on board. And for me, my wife's probably my best barometer because not only She's my wife and mother of my kids and that, but she's also my business partner and we work together and, mm. and, you know, and we have a good relationship. And why is it good? Because when we argue, we still love each other. Yes. But when we don't agree, we still get on. My husband's a huge part and, and something I test everything with from a business perspective. Mm. It is really important if you're going to found a business that you have someone in your corner and your spouse is just, if you've got someone there that you can, at the end of the day, talk to that's Correct. going to be real with you, fight with you if they think you're wrong. Yeah. Um, my husband is the more pragmatic person. Yeah. I'm more the emotional one. Yeah. That is a huge asset. Totally. And I almost think you need it. And it's undervalued, right? Yes. I don't want to be in a room of everyone telling me what I want to hear or blowing smoke up my rear end because... Mm. 
that's not going to help me get better. No. No, I want to be sitting in a room and say, right, this is what we're doing well. What do we need to do to be better tomorrow than today? Mm. And I really bring it back to some of those key real, again, wouldn't be a marketer if I wouldn't, right? But mm. bringing back to some key things. Am I being better tomorrow than today? Mm-hmm. They're my words. Gandhi's words. Am I being part of the change I want to see? That's a big one for me. So the politics comments and that recently I went to town about the interest rate rises and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and somebody puts a post up and goes, oh, bloody rich people worrying about interest rates. And I turned around and said, listen, moron. And this was quote unquote, listen, moron, I don't have a home loan. I'm not fighting for me. I've got 33 workers that work for me that I'm proud of, some in their 20s that own properties and they've got loans. Yes. I'm fighting for them. And I've done what I can. They're all paid above award. I've given them all large increases because of the cost of living anyway. Mm. I haven't increased my wage or my wife's wage because we're still a startup business. Our fun times are funded by our own different assets and stuff, yeah. not the business. Yeah. I'm putting my people first. I don't have a home loan. So this arguing with about the interest rates is not for me. Mm. It's for everyone that does, which is 98% of the population. Yes. Well, you should have seen the humble shit that was eaten after that, right? <laughs> because, you know, I'm not fighting for me. Yeah. That's what, and people say, why do you put yourself out there? Be part of the change you want to see, as Gandhi says. You want to see change? Mm. Be part of it. And I went on to explain. Inflation causes for many reasons. We've had it too good. People are spending too much money. But the government needs to lead the way and stop spending money. Yeah. Because they're out there spending crazy. Don't get me wrong. People have got a lot to learn too. You can't have a brand new car every two years and go on the best holiday every year and just keep pouring money out because that's what happens. Inflation mm. goes up, interest rates go up, things have got to curb. Mm. And there's a whole economic spin around it. But again, coming back to the point, I'm not fighting for me. And people go, why have the fight? Be part of the change you want to see. And then my favorite is I talk about life's measured in moments. Life is measured in moments, right? You know, when we go, if we're lucky enough, we might go, I might go in a suit. I'm not a fan of suits, so my wife will probably put a tie on me just to piss me <laughs> off. Um, but, you know, when we go, we go in whatever clothes we choose to go in yeah. and nothing else. So life's not measured in materialism. And it's not measured in possessions. They're fun and they have fun, but money's a resource. But the life is measured in moments. You go to a funeral and we've all been to them, unfortunately, and we'll go to many, unfortunately. It's all about the eulogy. Mm. You know, what does the person do when they stand up? They talk about the moments that that person's had or impacts that they've had. And that is the most powerful thing. And people need to live their life more aligned with that. What do you want somebody to say when you're talking at your funeral? Because that's what matters. And also with the people around you, don't wait to tell them things at their no. eulogy. I tell them, I tell people all the time. I said, text someone the other day and I said, thank you very much. I appreciate what you did that. Love you heaps. Now, somebody might read that and go, what do you mean you're telling somebody you love them? Yeah. Not in a romance way. Mm. I love the other person that they are. Yes. And that is, we don't say that enough. Mm. I say it to mom. I say it to my kids. And it's not just the token I, when you're feeling at that moment because we don't tell people enough um, the good stuff, you yeah. know, and we need to because once they're gone, they're gone. It's yeah. like my kids say, why do you ring mum, your mum and dad every second day and, and go there most weeks? And I said, well, because I actually don't want to be going there when they're in under the ground. Mm. I want to be going to see them while they're here. Mm. Now, of course, you still go to the cemetery and all the rest of it but when they pass away, but I want to see them and respect them and see them and hug them when they're alive. Yeah. Because you can't do it when they're gone. And you can't get that time back. Correct. And, and I think, look, I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know, but hopefully we're making people a bit more conscious. And that's one thing I love about podcasts and what you do and, mm. and stuff. It makes people more conscious. I just love as well that people can take away something from a podcast or a piece of information that just sits with them and that they continue to ruminate on and think about that impacts their life. One thing that you spoke about that I did want to chat about, which sort of sat with me, is that magic in moments and that that life is a series of moments. Because when you're growing a business, you can get all too Mm. focused on what's next, what's next, what's the next challenge. And then someone said to me the other day, isn't this great that this has happened and this and 
I had not taken the time to yeah. think about it. You've got to be grateful. That's one thing that I've really taken out over the last two decades of being in business is you've got to stop, reflect, be grateful, and then move on mm. so that you are constantly, because I got caught up in that. It was because I'm always tomorrow better than today, tomorrow better than yeah. today. Yeah, what's next? What's next, yeah. Alan? You know, done, yeah. done, yeah. Yeah. forward, it, forward. It just becomes yeah. a list of tick items. Yeah. You've got to sit back. And it's one thing I appreciate. We hadn't traveled overseas for three years, mm. and we just recently got back from a trip in Italy. And I tell you, it was amazing. It was the first time in many, many years it was just the four of us, so my mm. wife, me, and our two kids, and we had amazing moments. Mm. Did that have to be expensive? Some places are expensive, some places weren't. It wasn't some of the kids' favorite moments was us going to the local butcher, buying sausage and meat, and me cooking at home for them. Aww. You know, like not yeah. you know sitting in an extravagant restaurant. Yeah. You know, we stayed in the most amazing hotel in Santa Margarita in Portofino, mm. but they loved the villa in Positano, even though it was this retro, very clean, very nice, but it was no five star place. But mm. they loved it. Mm. They loved it because it had a kitchen there, and then there was this little cat that was there, and the cat would come <laughs> in every morning, and they'd feed it, and just simple things. Mm. That's what mattered to them those moments. And as you can imagine, as husband and wife of, you know, and we've done well in life, we don't want to be bringing up bad citizens. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes I look at people and I go, the worst part is not that you're an arsehole, is that you just, you breed. <laughs> yeah. So that's you, the scary and part. And entitlement, like entitlement's yeah. always my biggest fear or, or something that I just don't want in our children. Yeah. I don't want them to believe that the Correct. world owes them. Yeah. Well, our kids certainly don't because they, as soon as they got back, the first Saturday back, they're both in at the commune on a Saturday, washing yeah. dishes, greeting customers, clearing tables yeah. and smiling, yeah. um, you know, 15 and 13 years old. So my son's like, but I'm not legal age. I said, that's only if I pay you. So you come in there for free. <laughs> so Annika gets paid and Ali doesn't um, because otherwise it would be illegal. But, so she's employed and he's on work experience. Yeah. I said I used to scrub toilets, cut grass, wash the car, all at nine years old, yep. 10 years old. Best thing. I hated it at the time, but it's the best thing I ever did, mm. you know, and that's why my wife loves me because I'm very domesticated. And people learn more from uh, my husband grew up with a single mum and um, Turkish background mm. and he is very domesticated. So yeah. I can testament yeah. to that when yeah. they're domesticated. It's a huge asset in a husband. And how helpful so is good. It? Amazing. Because he understands and appreciates. So when my wife cooks and then I really appreciate when she cleans and that, I appreciate it yes. because I know what's entailed in that. I do the same. Yeah. So one thing we didn't touch on, which summarizes a lot of that, is values. Mm. You know, whether it's at work or whether it's a partner in life, you've got to have shared values. Yes. Um, and when you don't, that's okay too because mm. I call it the best breakups I've seen, mm. even though they're tough at times are the ones that they're breaking up for the right reasons, which is they don't have shared values anymore. Mm. And that's okay because mm. you don't want two people together for the wrong reasons and, mm. and kids don't want that either. And again, I'm not a relationship expert, but I've seen enough of it. And even my wife and I, we've had our issues in the years gone by, but we always come back, what brings you back together or mm. doesn't bring you back together is the values. And if you've got those shared values, you grow and change in your marriage over five, ten years. Correct. And as you grow, you grow together because totally. you, you keep coming back together. You have the shared values yeah. in life. Yeah. But it's the same as well with staff. And I've, I've Staff are no different. Business oh, is no different. It's such a huge thing. If you're hiring someone that doesn't 100% know the role yet but can be developed but has the right work ethic and shared employ values, them. employ, employ them. them. Yep. People keep telling me they can't find people. There are people and, everywhere. And vice versa. If you want 100000 a year but they're only offering eighty. Mm. But you've got the opportunity to make 120 down the track. Take it. There's yes. a set of people. Prove them. I had a role recently, and and the guy there had been mid twos, and the role was paying 175 because it was a yep. it was a newer business, sort of you yep. know wanting to double their growth. And he said, you know what? I've been on that, but I know that they're here, yes. and they need to get there. But I'm going to show them how great I am, and, and this how is I what I get, and that's a return of investment. And right? then I will give the ROI for them, Correct. and then show them. And that they're the kind of people you want in your business. But I agree with what you saying. It goes both ways. It does. It's got to be a waltz. You know, mm. you look pretty stupid if you're waltzing on your own. 
You've got to waltz together, and that's what happens. You've got to dance. And like I said, sometimes you're the pigeon, sometimes you're the statue. <laughs> sometimes the opposite. You really want someone, you don't want to pay that, but you think, you know what, and I've done this in the past. I said, shit, even if I'm not going to pay myself, I'm going to pay them because I need them in my business. Mm. And a bit different now because you've got resources because we exited well and the rest of it. But at Debella, I'll tell you, there were I wasn't even in the top three highest paid people in the company mm. because I kept reinvesting profits back into the business. So mm. We owned all our distribution centers. We kept putting on you know more clients, which meant more CapEx. I was paying people more money. And I did it with a smile on my face Mm. because they were the core of the business, you know? But again, it comes back with that. What's your relationship with money? Because I know a lot of people worth a lot of money that are never happy. I did want to ask you about your money mindset because, you know, you got to take risk in business. And from where you've come from, right, you didn't have a lot of money. How do you develop the right money mindset to be okay with risk? I think it comes from youth. You know, you're seeing that my dad always said, value a dollar, value a dollar. If you make a dollar, spend 80 cents. My kids can repeat this to you inside out because they've got the same treatment. You know, if I give you a dollar, you're only spending 80 cents. You're right. I want you to say, now my daughter goes, Dad, I only spent 60 cents. Even better. So, you Love know, it's, it's, so it's that bring that, make them conscious. So, mm. my dad made me conscious of relationship with money and what it stood for. Mm. Money's a resource, spend less than what you make. Unfortunately, the government doesn't understand that one either. You know, but <laughs> they want some. Yeah, a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, well, they, unfortunately, they don't make yeah. money. That's that's the problem. They don't make it. Which is my last point on money. My dad said it takes a lot of effort and work to make a dollar. Respect it. Why does government not respect money? They don't make money. They collect pet taxpayers' money. Think mm. about that, listeners, because a lot of people don't realise that they have an aha moment when I mention that. Government doesn't make money. The government collects money. Hmm. We saw it recently when the wonderful Albanese comes out and goes, oh, we just got a $900 million surplus. Well, that's because the royalties went up and you collected more royalties in mining. Mm. Not because you magically invested somewhere and it came back to you, <laughs> right? Like the, the people don't understand that government collects money. It collects mm. from taxpayers. We all pay tax. Whether you own a business, work in a business, you're a worker, you pay tax. And it doesn't matter how much tax you pay. You need to understand, the government needs to understand that that person's worked hard to make that money they've given a portion to the government, they need to respect it, but they don't. They Mm. spend more than what they make, right? Because every year should be a surplus, Mm. you know, in government. Because if you did that, you look at the countries that do and how well they do and the services they provide. But anyway, that's another discussion. It's a great example of how I was brought up to respect money. Spend less than what you make. Understand money's a resource. Mm. Spend less than you make. If you make a dollar, spend 80 cents Mm. and respect the dollar you earn, mm. don't, because that means that you don't expect others to give you anything. The dollar you earn is the dollar you make. I never forget a comment from a customer once when um, we had to bell it was doing really well. My wife and her sister opened a cafe in New Farm called View, which is now called Saver. Mm. It's not oh, theirs. you had the, the best the macaroons. Yes, well the boys make it; they still own it. Oh, that's called Saver. I love Saver. those macaroons. So, yeah, so that's the boys that have now <laughs> own it that we brought in as partners. Yeah, you should go there especially yeah, just for that. Yeah, well they, they still make them. They're there, yeah. but the boys are doing great. And for twenty years in business this year, which is amazing. So twenty years ago we opened twenty one. Ago and then we brought them in one year later. So they were business partners. Now, I never forget their mum and dad never owned a brand new car. They've had two now since I, I bought it for them, right? Mm. It was my thank you to them from that. But from a young age, I used to walk around the house saying, I'm going to be buying nice cars. I'm going to drive a BMW convertible. I'm going to drive, you know, this. <laughs> I never mentioned Ferrari Lamborghinis, which I now am just so grateful and, and so appreciative that I've been able to drive all cars. But I used to walk around the house going, I'm going to drive a new car, I'm going to drive a new car, I'm going to drive a new car, mm. right? Because that was driving me because I never had it. It wasn't about the car. It was about having something and having a goal and having an aspiration, mm. right, and all the rest of it. Fast forward to the cafe and I changed my cars. And some smart-ass customer goes to my wife and goes, so is your coffee's going to go up 40 cents tomorrow because Phil bought a new car? And my wife turned around without even taking a breath and said, the one thing I know about my husband, and I've known him since he was 15, that he's never expected anyone else to pay for his luxuries. 
Mm. And she just whipped around in that just straight <laughs> sentence and said, I've known him since he's 15 and not once have I seen my husband expect anyone else to pay for his luxuries. Yeah. When, what a legend. Whatever, whatever he's got is because he's gone and worked yeah. for it, not because something's been gifted to him or because he expects somebody to gift it to them. I think there is this whole tall poppy syndrome and things like that in Australia is still very much prevalent when you think you see people that driving us cars or have successful businesses and things like that and you forget that that person earned it. So instead of thinking it's all around the mindset you have around it, how can I aspire to get to that level? Well, it should inspire you like it did to me. I mean, there's a couple of points on that. I have to say this, Australia is amazing when you're starting. Mm. The Australian mindset and Australian mentality is brilliant when you're starting. The Aussie battler. The Aussie battler, they want to help you, they help you, and they did. And they did that with me, and they love you. And it's great. And you give back, and I've always loved back. I mean, that's why I won two corporate citizenship awards by mm. the Lord Mayor and stuff like that, because I've always believed in giving back. But when you do make it and you make a mistake, like when I famously got on a rant about state of origin referees and called them, oh, yeah. <laughs> called them terrible names, yeah. I was crucified. Like I was crucified. I'm the worst person in the world. Telstra decided to strip an award off me, which I said, well, you can't because it's not my award. It wasn't Philip DeBella award. It was DeBella Coffee Award, so they couldn't strip anything. They go to town and crucify you. Why? Yeah. Because you're a brand. You're, that's where the tall poppy comes in. Yes. And, and my message to listeners is not everybody's like that. Not everybody's like that. Mm. But when you do find yourself, when you look at somebody that's achieved something, let it inspire you. And achieve something doesn't have to be a possession. No. What about, there's amazing people out there doing amazing, you know, here we go, through my work with the Pajama Foundation. Mm. 95% of people that have somebody's other kids in their house as foster parents, 95% of them are working class. Mm. And they do an amazing job. To me, they're heroes. Yes. Oh, they inspire me. Yeah. Because it's not about what car they drive because normally it's a shitty one. It's not how much money they got because normally it's nothing. But they're taking other people's problem kids into their houses and looking after them as if they're their own. Mm. To me, that is a massive inspiration. Yeah. So using an analogy for the people listening, don't look at somebody and look at their possessions and judge them. Really let whatever they're doing inspire you. And that was why I started that camp, which we had to stop due to COVID. Mm. Um, but my wife and I have funded a camp for five years where the second week of December, 40 kids and their carers went away for a week down the Gold Coast. Mm. All expenses paid, everything done. And we funded the whole lot. What that did was two things. It allowed the Pajama Foundation to raise corporate money because their funding had been cut to go straight into the kitty because we funded the whole camp. Mm. But the big one was in order for the kids to aspire to go on that camp because there was Mm. a waiting list, Mm. they had to have straight C's, so all passes. Yep. So we saw grades go up across the the foster kids Mm. and they couldn't have any more than two strikes, so three strikes and you're out, of bad behaviour through the year. Mm. So not only did we see grades go up, we saw behaviour get better, all because they all aspired to want to go on that camp. That's great. And that to me is impact. Yes. Right? And one person would look at that and go, bloody DeBella throwing his money around. Somebody else would look at that and go, DeBella is having an impact on these kids, Mm. you know. To me personally, I don't give a shit what people say. Mm. I know the impact that it's happened this time. And I let things like the foster carers inspire me because it's not about possessions and materialism. It's what somebody doing to help community. What's somebody doing to be better tomorrow than today? Mm. Um, My sister-in-law is a great inspiration. You know, unfortunately, a few years ago, she got breast cancer. And we thought, here we go. This is not good. And it wasn't good. And long story short, the way she dealt with that and the strength she was for her family, her kids, and the way she personally dealt with it, Mm. to me, was an inspiration. Mm. And it was an amazing case of somebody I never expected to be so resilient Mm. um, and so strong was absolutely amazing. And to me, that's an inspiration. Yeah, So, you know, seek inspiration. Don't let your first thought be tear somebody down. Let it be, how do I help them or how do I help myself and learn from them? Or just don't make any comment at all, (laughs) Um, you know, is even better. It really is about that. And that's that tall poppy syndrome. Because you know what? These iPhones and all these things, 
they're like scalpels. You can use a scalpel to operate and save somebody's life or you can stab someone and hurt them. Mm. You can use the phone as an amazing resource to do better business, carry less things around, be efficient, or you can use your mobile phone to actually tear people's lives apart. But the choice, and it all stops with you. People blame the technology. It's not the technology. It's not the knife. I heard mm. a stupid one the other day. Oh, should we be putting sharp knives in supermarkets locked away to discourage people from getting them to go and stab somebody? Literally, that was on the radio the other day when that stabbing happened up north. And I'm just like, are you for real? Are you for real? Like, mm. is that the solution? Mm. Oh, there's a big push now to have supermarkets lock away knives. Now, I just want listeners to think about the stupidity of that. Mm. You know, when are we just going to stop and take responsibility for our actions? Mm. If you're 11-year-old kids going out and stabbing people, you've got a freaking problem as a parent. Yes. Or that kid's got a problem mentally because there are some parents that are brilliant, mm. but their kids are just bad. Mm. And that kid needs help. So it's either you need help as a parent or that kid needs help. Mm. Now, again, there's going to be some people listening to this guy, and this guy's an idiot. Well, sorry, but they're the plain facts. Mm. It's not normal behavior for an 11-year-old to go and buy a knife or get a knife and go and stab somebody. That's mm. not normal behavior. There's only two things wrong there. Either the parents have got the issues or... The kid's got the issue. Mm. But either way, whoever's got needs to get fixed. Mm. And the fixing it is not lock away the knives in a supermarket. Yeah. You know, some people are going to, and I talk about brave conversations. A lot of people won't have those brave conversations. I will. Mm. Because I can tell you now, if my 13-year-old boy did that, there's nothing with, wrong with him mentally. Mm. He's a straight-A student. He didn't forget the grades, but he puts in an amazing effort. He's respectful and all the rest of it. If he flipped out tomorrow, that would be me not being close enough to him or something's going wrong biologically in his head. Yeah. And either way, I need to get either him fixed or me fixed or both because there's got to be a reason for that rather mm. than blaming, oh, the access to knife. So mm. just... I use knives as an example, but it can be anything. It could be a mobile phone. You know, why was that person nasty to that person on social media? Oh, the mobile phone should be monitored and banned. Why? Mm. Why are we blaming the tool, not the person? It's just, a, and it comes down to accountability. Oh, bingo. And that's authenticity and accountability are my two strongest values. Mm. Are people being accountable and are mm. they being authentic? Mm. And I get passionate about it, as people can hear, because it's just, we're breeding dum-dums. Mm. You know, if we really think that that's the case, locking up knives, then we're breeding stupidity, mm. you know, and there's plenty of facts out there. You get hard on crime, like Campbell Newman did, and mm. I know a lot of people didn't like him. It didn't matter whether you did or you didn't, mm. but he got hard on crime. What was the result? You can't argue it. No. The crime went down. Yeah. Current Premier gets soft on crime. Where's the crime? Now, it, you can't argue logic. That's yeah. logic. You can't say this guy's an idiot. You know, what's Philip talking about? That's logic. They're the facts. Mm. He went hard on crime. Crime numbers came down. She's gone soft on crime. Crime numbers are up. Now, what we do about it can be different for different people and different strategies, but you can't argue that logic. But let's at least admit what the problem is, and then we can start working on a solution. Mm. But shit, we're still caught up at trying to admit what the problem is. Mm. So I use that as one example because the same thing happens in business. Yeah. You know, in business, people don't know their numbers. If you don't know your numbers, how do you know where you are? How do you know the economic climate of your business? Mm. If you don't know your numbers, if you don't know what the customer wants, needs, desires are, three important things, needs, wants, and desires of a customer. If you don't know what they are, well, then how can you produce a product that's going to get them to emotionally engage with you? Yep. I mean, I can talk all day, but these are ideologies and things that I talk about. Build things from the outside in. Accept accountability. Be authentic in what you do. Don't be what you're not. At the end of the day, your life is measured in moments. Mm. Make it a bloody good life. Work on being better tomorrow than today. Be part of the change you want to see and ensure that when you pass away, people are saying the things you want about you. 
like mm. I said, with me, they're not going to say six foot tall and <laughs> had a beautiful lock of hair. Maybe when I was 10 years old, they had beautiful <laughs> hair. Uh, but again, live your life the way, that, you know, it's, that's and there's some key grabs and takeaways from my behalf. Love it. You just summed it up then because I was going to ask you the legacy and then you went on to tell me a bit about what you'd want people to say about you, which mm. is great. So I'm going to go into the rocket round now, which is a bit of fun. Yes. Where we ask a few fun questions about Phil. Yes. Uh, So the first one is favourite book. Favourite book, Never Split the Difference. Mm. I just finished reading it. I think it's pretty cool. See, I'm not good because my brain works that it goes out of memories, but I did take a note of it. Yeah, Never Split the Difference. It's all about the art of negotiation by Chris Voss. Ooh. Yeah, really, really good. Okay. Anyone that's in that negotiation, we're always in negotiation. Is he the, he's that famous negotiator, yes, is he? Yes, he was the oh, FBI guy. Amazing, right. amazing, amazing, amazing book. I just finished reading it a week ago. Loved it. Great. I also love The Go-Giver from Bob Berg, which yeah. is all about, it's a really small, easy book to read, great for kids. It's all about that spirit of giving and being in service to What's others. What's it called, did you say? The Go-Giver. Go giver, yeah. I think I know Chris Voss. I think maybe James might have had him on his podcast. Yeah, um, the he might the have, expert yeah. negotiator, yeah. if he's the FBI guy. Yeah. Okay, I know that name. That sounds like a good book to read. And favorite holiday destination? Oh, Sicily. Sicily, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, because it's got that mix for me. It's got that I can go and do the touristy thing and be a tourist, or I can mm. go back to the where my parents came from and relatives and all that, and have that village experience okay. as well. Uh, this is going to be a fun one for you. Coffee or wine? Uh, both. Um, <laughs> I got into wine because of coffee. Well, that's my excuse anyway. So I got a wine collection, but both. It depends. More before twelve, coffee. After twelve or after four, wine. How many coffees would you have a day? Oh shit! I can go from none to six or seven a day, um, but I average probably two a day. Yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, I think we've talked about holiday destination, podcasts that you listen to. I love the Harvard Business Review. Mm-hmm. They've got some really good stuff on there. The Harvard Business Review's got a podcast series. Yep. is really good. So, yeah, that's probably the one that stands out for me. And cats or dogs? Dogs, definitely. Dogs. <laughs> yeah, we got a little caboodle. And I never thought that I'd fall in love with a pet so much. But, yeah, um, definitely dogs. And what makes you feel like you're home? Um, so what makes me feel like home is I normally get home before the kids do now because I'm in at work early. I'm out, you know, normally home by three. They get home, say, between 3.30 and 4.30, depending on what they've got going on. Mm. Um, when the kids come up the steps and they come over and the first thing they do is give you a hug and say, hey, Papa, how was your day? That makes me feel home. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Covered so many good topics. Thank you. I really want to know as well. So if someone's listening, how can they support you, learn more about the businesses that you cover? Yeah, Yeah, look, I've got two things that can follow me on. Obviously, they can follow on socials and all the rest of it. So LinkedIn and Facebook. LinkedIn's my preference because Facebook gets full and then you've got to cull people that you're not engaging with because it's capped at 5,000. It's three-way socials. Learn more about what we do is coffeecommune.com.au. Please have a look at that. It is an Australian-first business and we're helping lots of people in hospitality be better tomorrow than today. It is a first-to-its-kind business. It's a Coffee Commune is a community and a facility. Mm -hmm. First time anyone's ever built a brand around a a facility and a community only. Mm. It's not a coffee brand, even though we produce coffee for small, big corporates, but it's under their own brand, their own label, their own recipes. So have a look at coffeecommune.com.au. And finally, a lot of flashcasts by PDB. I've got a um, podcast series. Yes. Um, Flashcast by PDB. Kills nodding. Yeah, no, kills nodding. And he's been the producer for many years. Yeah, so 10-minute nuggets that I talk about. Uh, a lot of topics are sent in by guests. Yep. But it covers personal, professional, family. Uh, we talk about politics. We talk about business. We talk about all sorts of stuff. My kids have been on it. I've had people like Don May on it mm. um, from Domino's. Yeah, it's more of a lifestyle podcast, even though yep. it does talk a lot about. But it's all about kids can listen to it. We've got some friends of ours that have kids listening to it. So, yep. you know, we talk about some cool stuff. 
I want to commend you for what you created with the Coffee Commune as well. As, as somebody who's founded a business and I was home with a three-month-old and a three-year-old before that, I think Coffee Commune for us has created a community for us. Mm. We go along to your events and it is. It is something special. It is something beyond just coffee mm. it, and everyone gets that feeling when they come here. So in terms of your values of community, that has shone through. Fantastic. So I want to, I want you to commend sure. you on that. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Me, We've loved having you. And as always, please like, subscribe, share, review, all that stuff. And if there is someone out there that you think really needs to hear what we're talking about and is looking to build a business, build a career uh, and needs that inspiration, please share because you never know what little bit of inspiration could change someone's life. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.